on today's Q&A episode, strength and conditioning tips, rolled ankles, and leg length discrepancy. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I'm a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Thanks for bearing with me for releasing this Q&A episode as I had um, me talking about my injury update last episode and put this um, on the back burner for half a week or so. And so now it's time to answer all your questions. Um, We have some strength and conditioning tips. We have some questions around rolled ankles and we have some questions around leg length discrepancy on today's episode. Um, First of all, welcome back. Welcome back to the Run Smarter podcast. And thanks to everyone who responded for um, the shout out that I put to answer any question that you might have on social media. And in total, got 24 questions, 24 responses. And um, so I decided to split them up. I decided to find uh, the questions that were best, most appropriate for the podcast. And for those who um, submitted a question that might have been too specific or not really suitable for the podcast. Um, I made my best effort to reach out to you guys privately to answer that question as best as I can and help you out. Um, and then any ones that I didn't help out, I've put onto the podcast. And so hopefully I've kept everyone happy in that regard. Um, if you want to join um, the patron group, the, uh, definitely I always ask the questions to them first. If they have any questions that they want submitted, that they get priority, obviously. And then um, based on how many responses come through there, I then filter it down to the social media like Facebook groups and Instagram and see what the general public wants me to answer. And so because I had so many responses, I've decided to do this into a two-parter and this episode will be just from the Facebook responses and next episode will be just from the Instagram responses. And so, um, yeah, I, I thought we'd do something fun today. So, um, the four that I have chosen to answer today, um, the listeners have sent in some voice memos, so having a bit of fun there. And um, I think I, I really like it. I love hearing your voices and like hearing uh, who's listening. And so it's um, it's nice. For those patrons, thanks to John, Jesse, Virginia for submitting some questions. And in the main group, uh, sorry, I couldn't get to everyone. Sorry to Andy Jones and Dimmer. Um, You've just submitted your questions a little bit too late. Um, But then we have um, Madeline, we have Rachel, we have Cassie, Moira, Kathy Playman, I think is how you pronounce it, and Frederick and Grant Miller. Um, 
Sorry I couldn't answer your question on the podcast, but thanks so much for submitting your questions. And um, yeah, maybe the, it ties in really well with our next Q&A episode if you do have a question that arises. So um, this comes from our first question comes from Erin. And um, yeah, let's hear what she has to say. Hi, Brody. I'm currently training for a fall marathon. I'm finding it difficult to squeeze in strength work with my busy schedule. So my question is, what is the minimum amount of time per week that someone should dedicate to strength training? And is it better to do a couple of longer sessions per week or just do a little bit most days? Thanks so much for taking my question. Okay, thanks Aaron for submitting that. Um, Where to start? So I think there's a general rule when it comes to, um, if you're not injured, what it comes to in terms of frequency for strength training to increase running performance. And the general rule being that yes, two times per week minimum um, is adequate enough to build up your strength. It should be enough times per week if you're doing the right intensities and the right type of exercises in order to reap the rewards that strength training has. Um, And if you have to um, the, like it comes with the, the other rule of thumb. I don't think there's much evidence behind it, but, um, it seems to be quite sound is that so two times a week builds up your strength once a week maintains your strength and you're not deconditioning yourself or you're not getting weaker in this, in the gym if you're doing those exercises once a week. And so that might, um, suit to your advantage when it comes to training for the marathon, like you're doing. And if you are say, if you're at this sort of building up the base phase um, for the first couple of months, you might want to do your strength training twice a week, build up, reap all the rewards, get all the gains that we know that strength training has to increase running performance. But then when it gets to the top tier of your marathon, maybe eight weeks out, something along those lines, you want to still maintain all those strength benefits that you've gained, but you might want to think about or see if it's best for you to sub out one of those strength training sessions for a run session and getting a little bit more specific when it comes to that marathon time or the marathon event itself. So um, that's up to you. It depends on your body, depends on maybe your running coach, because we don't want to sub it out and put in a run session. If you're already running, say five times a week, we don't want to do a sixth because you want adequate recovery, but it might be something that you want to do in order to, but keep in mind that you're just maintaining the strength that you have gained. Um, We're not getting stronger. We're not getting weaker. We're just in that idling phase if the intensity is quite good. Um, For anyone else who uh, isn't training for a marathon, and let's just say you are injured, there might be a a bit more of a um, different rule set for your specific circumstances. And usually when someone is injured, how often we do our strength training will depend on the injury, depend on the severity But if it's really irritable, if it's a um, new injury or something that's quite chronic that's really bothering you and you haven't really put a lot of load through it, usually when it comes to rehab, we do this um, frequency that we call little and often. So it might be an exercise that isn't that strenuous, not lifting a lot of weight. If anything, it's maybe body weight or some light therabands. And we're doing that once a day, sometimes multiple times a day. But the stronger you get and the harder that exercise becomes, less often um, it's required to be repeated less often so sometimes it'd be to once a day or once every second day sometimes twice a week depending 
on where you are through those progressions. And so general rule of thumb, everyone's individual circumstances will matter, but um, that's usually um, where I land for the general population. Um, your second part to the question, Aaron, was, okay, if we're doing these strength sessions, is it better or is there any difference between spreading it out throughout the week? Um, I did interview Rich Blaygrove all the way back at the start of this podcast, um, probably episode 14 or something. Um, and he answered this really nicely. He said that, yes, our two strength sessions per week is ideal. And usually that one session is around about 45 to 60 minutes, but sometimes people don't have that luxury. They don't have that time availability. So he said you can sprinkle that out across the week. And sometimes you might only do 15, 20 minutes, but you can do that every day. And um, you're just having the same amount of workload units be just spreading it out across the week. That is an option that people can have. And there's no detriment to doing that. But you want to make sure that your recovery is adequate. You want to make sure that your intensity during the day is adequate. I think a lot of people would, um, if they're doing it every day, only just do the body weight style exercises. Whereas if they're doing it twice a week, they feel more dedicated to start lifting heavier weights uh, because we know in order to reap the benefits for endurance training or endurance running, we need to start lifting heavier. We need to break out of that body weight style um, bridges, calf raises, squats, lunges that we um, usually just naturally fall into and actually start lifting some weights. So as long as you're doing that, as long as your intensity is okay, it is okay to sprinkle that out over the week. Um, and if you wanted to go back to that interview as well, Rich talks about um, where to structure it within your session if you have to run on that day and you also have to do a strength session on that day and he breaks it down and goes into a little bit more detail. So you can go back to that. Um, I'm going to guess and say 14 or 15 um, is the episode number there for Rich. Um, what else did I have written down? Um the, if you're struggling with time, you might want to find some exercises that are more bang for your buck, um, depending on how strong you are, depending on um, your past injuries, this would uh, be different for you, but I've only just, I've written down a couple here that you might take advantage of. So for someone who has like knee or hip issues, we can do something like a wall sit, uh, but for more bang for your buck, you can during that wall sit, you can actually come up onto your toes and fire your calf muscles. And so you're working two things at once. Um, what other bang for my buck exercise do we have? If you do, just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Like a single leg squat, um, you can do it in standing and the um, so one foot on the ground and let's just say if you can visualize, um, so the, the wall is to your side, to your right side and you're standing on your left leg. If you lift your right knee up and start doing those single leg squats, what you can also do is put a Swiss ball or like a basketball or maybe a towel or something against the wall and your right knee is pressing out into the wall and pressing against that ball while you do your single leg squats. So you're really firing your glutes while you're doing your single leg squats as well. 
Um, some other bang for your buck exercises, um, say if you're doing a sit to stand, so maybe it's with weights, maybe it's without weights. Um, you can have a TheraBand around your knees so that when you do that sit to stand, you're um, pressing out on those knees and firing the glutes that way. But then when you come up into that stand, you can also launch into a hop and then land back in that same spot and come back down. And so you're working your glutes, you're working your calf as you launch up, you're working your quads as you do your squats. And so these bang for your buck exercises might be up your alley if you're really struggling to fit in some strength and conditioning exercises. Um, so that's what I have in mind. I hope that answers your questionnaire and I hope it um, clarifies a lot of puzzling messages that are out there that you might have. Hi Brody, this is Tori from Houston, Texas in the US. Here's my question. What are some of the best injury prevention exercises that a distance runner should keep on rotation? Maybe things like Nordic curls or glute bridges. Um, just some ideas about things we could do on a daily or a weekly basis to stay healthy. Thanks. Good to hear from you, Tori. Thanks for submitting this question. Um, what I have here, I guess when it comes to injury prevention, um, we can't really confidently say that these exercises will help reduce your risk of injury. The evidence just isn't there. Um, we do have a lot of evidence to show that just general strength training does help reduce risk of injury uh, in the athletic population in general. They did a huge systematic study to show that um, strength training on a regular basis cut um, cut injuries down by a third. So that's quite significant. But in that huge study, thousands, thousands of participants, there was no runners in there. So um, yeah, that was a bit of a bummer. But um, so all the stuff that we kind of say here is um, kind of just based on uh, clinical expertise or clinical judgments. And so if someone came to me and asked your question and said, what exercises can I do to prevent injuries? There's a few key things I'd like to know about the individual so that I could tailor the best advice for them. And um, so there's a couple of things I've wrote down here that I'd like to know. One, what their, what is your past history of injuries is it more to do with the calf and the Achilles and the plantar fascia? Is it more to do with the hip and the knees? Um, is it more to do with the glutes or the lower back? These sort of things I'd love to know because they may be some link, the weak links and might just give a bit of indication of how you're running, the type of runner you are, which is another um, point that I'd like to know. What type of running are you doing? Are you doing 5Ks three times a week? Are you training for a marathon? Are you doing trails? Um do you contact with your heel? Do you contact with your forefoot? All these sort of bits of information can help. Uh, any strength deficits, if we do like a strength assessment and we find that your knees are like you can't do a lot of single leg squats, but you can do a ton of calf raises. That's something that would be really helpful. Um, yeah, what type of, uh, if, if you're a heel striker or if you're, um, say, a four-foot runner, these change the demands of the runner itself. And so that would be really nice to know. Are you interested in doing speed work? Are you interested in doing a lot of hills? Um, is there a lot of tightness in your hamstrings? Um, we know if you go uphill, we know that's quite tough on the propulsive phases of the run. So the calf, the Achilles. Um, if you're running downhill, we know that the ITB and your hips and your knee cop a lot of brunt of that force. Um, the other two I'd like to know is just your gender. We know that females are subjected to more knee and hip issues and then age because we know that 
as you get older, as you get older, your um, propulsion becomes more deficient. And so you turn into a little bit more of a shuffle and especially for males, but um, both genders, but more for males, the older you get, the more you subject yourself to things like calf and Achilles issues and just those propulsive phases. So if I'd like to know all those things, that'd be really cool to know. That way I can be like, all right, these exercises be really good for you moving forward. Um, based on your past history of injuries, these are the weak links that we can work on. Based on your assessment, these are the weak links we can work on. Um, but I know that based on your answer, we'd kind of want something a bit more generic or my ideas of what can be some really nice exercises to, to do. Um, when it comes to injury prevention, yes, I kind of answered this in Aaron's question, but we do want to go a bit heavier. We do know that um, doing some heavier exercises, maybe around like a 10 rep max, uh, once you're strong enough to do so and your technique is okay to uh, accomplish that, we do know that that's where the benefits come in. And so if you're talking about maybe doing something daily or maybe doing something twice a week, we maybe want to tend more towards something twice a week and make sure your um, your running routine spread throughout the week is really ideal. Like you're tapping into the right frequency and the right intensities, that 80-20 zone that we always talk about. But um, here's my generic answer, I guess. So lunges, any form of lunges or lunge variations. So Bulgarian split squats, which is kind of like a lunge, but your back leg is up on a bench or up on a step. Um, really good for quads, really good for the eccentric control of the hamstrings, really good for the glutes. So that's a really nice bang for your buck exercise that taps into a lot of um, stuff required for running. If you wanted to do that exercise and um, your front leg is coming like the heel is coming off the ground so you're activating more of your calf as well really really good <laughs> so maybe that'd be something you can do definitely some sort of calf workout because we know the propulsion forces for the calf for the gastrocnemius and the soleus which are the two calf muscles the demands for those for running is just enormous so if you really want to build up a base if you really want to um it build up that capacity of that Achilles and that calf to withstand the forces of running, then we need to do some strength exercises for those. So either doing some standing calf raises with weights when the legs are straight or doing some sort of variation where the knees are slightly bent to tap into more of that soleus muscle. That'd be a great exercise for you to do. The other thing I could probably add is just like your generic deadlifts or squats. Um, again, really nice exercises for runners, just tapping to all the the hip, knee, ankle type of um, muscles and tendons and just make sure that as long as you're capable of doing so, we're progressing to increase um, the weights rather than the reps. And <clears throat> yeah, that, that would be my other one. If there is room for another one, just doing some sort of single leg work. So single leg squats, um, single leg balancing type of work, uh, Maybe some heavy banded sort of exercises just when you're standing on one leg. Anything to do with that will be really nice because we want that um, one-legged kind of balance and that one-legged control and the hip control, knee control when you're standing on one leg. So that, that could be a really nice um, exercise for you to do as well. So there's maybe about four exercises that you'd, like all runners should be doing, some sort of lunge variation, calf, deadlift, squat, and then maybe some single leg work um, mixed in there as well. It's good to hear another Aussie voice. This question comes in from Nicole. 
Hi Brody. are there any good exercises to strengthen the ankle to stop it from wanting to roll when the foot goes into a bit of a hole? Thanks. Thanks for your question, Nicole. I have suffered from rolled ankles uh, so many times. You probably listened to the last episode and know that I recently rolled my ankle um, just go- growing up playing basketball constantly. Um, so it's a good question. Um, <laughs> tough to answer though. Like it- it's extremely hard. I'm just trying to visualize if someone were to place their foot on say a bit of a divot or a bit of uneven ground and the ankle were to roll can you do some exercises strong enough to prevent that force from from rolling over? Uh, it'd be extremely hard, if not close to impossible, to prevent the ankle from rolling if it goes into a hole, um, especially if you're running at such high forces. But um, your muscles won't be strong enough to generate force to prevent it. If it rolls, it rolls. But um, I did find some research, um, one around, there's a paper called the updated model of chronic ankle instability and it was released in 2019 and they talk about um, those who have rolled their ankles in the past um, they're more prone to rolling them in the future and if this is you um, there may be something we can do to prevent this sort of stuff um, however there may be the circumstances for other people where like if you just hit a, a side of an uneven surface at the right angle or at the wrong angle, um, yeah, it, it'd be very, very hard to prevent. But they do um, have this kind of um, paragraph in there that talks about the nerve fibers mainly to do with proprioception of the ankle and reflexes of the ankle. And so they say these afferent fibers, these afferent nerve fibers, which are the ones that are connected from your foot to your brain, um, in the capsule and within the ligaments of the foot and ankle, they kind of provide a reflex which helps to stabilize the foot during locomotion, like walking and running. And when the foot uh, is sprained, these partial like afferent fibers, those nerve fibers are often injured and causing the joints to um, to be like less optimized and the, the reflex stabilization of that foot is impaired and can lead to things giving way. And so that's why potentially in this study, that's what they talk about, why someone may um, roll their ankle multiple times after they've done it uh, for the first time. And that's just damage to the tendons, damage to the proprioception, possible stretching of the tendons people talk about, but I haven't came across any research to support that. Um, but yeah, there's potentially some uh, loss of, of that innovation and loss of that reflex to um, to judge where the foot should be stabilizing. And so they also talk about additionally, they um, in this particular paper, they comment another paper which provided evidence that patients who performed coordination exercises during their recovery of ankle sprains documented a lower incidence of functional instability and they query that it prevents um, future rolling of ankles but I delved into that paper and they didn't really um, talk about specifics of like exercises that they would use to prevent ankle rolling Um, but they did mention a little bit around tilting boards which are kind of like wobble boards I'm assuming uh, which are really nice it's what we use with our rehab all the time for ankle instability and it just strengthens up your proprioception, strength, strengthens up the intrinsic muscles within your foot. And especially if you start doing work with your eyes closed, 
um, when you do work with your eyes closed, is this you relying on those proprioceptive um, receptors or those feedback receptors in your foot and ankle to determine where that position is uh, without looking at it or where you are in space because your eyes are closed. And so um, constantly working that neural network can help strengthen up those signals and then um, increase the amount or like the efficiency of that the nerves just conducting and sending those messages to the right area. So um, if you do have sprained ankles, I recommend going back to, I did an episode on sprained ankles a couple of months ago, maybe going back to that because I go into a bit more detail. However, um, some generic exercises would be TheraBand exercises. So if you're lying down, I'd say laying on a bed on your back and you've got the TheraBand around both feet, and just everting both of those feet, so kind of like turning them out and allowing that resistance of the band to kind of control that movement. You start working the um, the type of tendons and ligaments and muscles that are required for stabilizing the foot. Uh, then you're just getting into balancing exercises, seeing if you can balance on one foot, see if you can balance without shoes, see if you can balance without shoes and without uh, with uh, with your eyes closed see how you can do that with hopping and what's I think what's going on here is when it comes to proprioception and this nerve innovation when you make contact with the ground when you're a runner before you or I guess with sports athletes as well or definitely with sports athletes as you make contact with the ground um, your foot can be like dead flat like it could be in the most ideal position possible to absorb that load and stabilize but sometimes if you've rolled your ankle and those proprioception messages aren't there, your foot can be just at a slight tilt, only just minor, um, If especially if you think your foot is flat, but because those proprioceptive messages aren't as well connected, it might be just slightly off kilter so that it increases the likelihood of if something were to happen, like a slightly um, uneven surface, or if you get like a knock um, from someone and or just a uh, an external force if you're playing team sports that slight variation in your foot position could cause it to roll over and so um, doing all these exercises doing these balancing exercises the band exercises the eyes closed hopping wobble board all that sort of stuff just helps train and train those messages back to the foot and helping getting that nice and strong again so um there will be some circumstances where you can't really prevent the ankle from rolling, but we can be proactive and we can, I guess, minimize that risk. And so I hope that answers your question, Nicole. Eric sent this next question, which um, just got in just in time. I've just checked my email and saw that it's in there. Um, couldn't find the format to download it straight to my software. And so I've literally just um, put it on my phone and put my phone up against the microphone. So that's why the message is a little bit um, soft, but uh, here's the question. Hi Brody, this is Eric Bessie from Missouri in the United States of America. My question has to do with uh, any signs or symptoms that are indicative of a leg length discrepancy, or are we creating for ourselves a leg length discrepancy by the type of surface that we run on? Generally roads will have a graded surface so that rain will run off to the side, which allows one leg to be reaching maybe just a little bit lower than the next and may over so many miles manifest in some type of 
injury that uh, shows a leg length discrepancy that may be a pseudo leg length discrepancy. And then uh, in addition to that, are there things that we can do to, to help that? Could we put a heel rise in one side or the other? Or does it even matter? Is there any big difference in that? So this a little in the weeds, but uh, might be a good question to address. And uh, just out of curiosity, I wonder that sometimes. Because I do notice when I'm running on a graded surface that my right leg will maybe be a little more sore in the Achilles tendon, whereas the, uh, the upper hamstring on the left side may be a little sore, which is kind of odd that it's different in each leg. So, yeah, that's my question. Hopefully that is something that other people are curious about and might be helpful. So thank you. Thanks for all your podcasts, too. They're very helpful, and uh, I enjoy your insight, your intellect, and your research on what you do. So thanks again, buddy. Bye-bye. Thanks, Eric. It's a really insightful question. You've got really good awareness around your body and what the mechanics of your body are. Uh, interacting with different terrain, it's a, it's a fascinating topic. In fact, um, because of that, I have um, made it my decision to make this topic a totally different episode um, around leg length discrepancy. But I think I might answer half your question um, or answer maybe just quite briefly. The uh, When it comes to leg length discrepancy, a lot of people are told that they have one foot longer than the other by, say, 5 mil or 10 mil. And there are studies done to show the prevalence of people that do have a leg length discrepancy. Um, however, there is... Um, Research to show that in order to affect your biomechanics, you need to have a leg length discrepancy of more than 20 mil, which is less than, I think, less than 1% of the population. Um, so a lot of people are told that they're getting all these injuries because they have a 5 mil difference and need a 5 mil heel lift in one shoe, but it just doesn't, it's not followed up by evidence. So um, that's half your question. But What's really interested me is your question around this pseudo discrepancy and the interaction with the ground and the, um, yeah, the terrain, especially slopes. And so I have a bit of a personal account as well. When I moved house a couple of years ago, there was a really nice river run where a lot of people went near my house. And even though it, most of it was pavement, that pavement was still slightly leaning in towards the river and so um most people would go for a run me included would go for a run around the river every single time in that same direction and during that slope exactly what you say it's not necessarily um the same as having a leg length discrepancy on a flat surface but um because there is a slight lean the amount of uh, motion in both of your ankles, particularly pronation in that direction, um, will be different from your right foot to your left foot. And so if you're running along in a straight line and if you're running forwards and you have the river or a bank or something on your left-hand side, when you contact the ground with your right foot, your right foot will pronate just slightly more than your left foot. Your left foot will actually supinate a little bit more because... Um, you're trying to interact with that surface. And so uh, when it comes to this sort of interaction, I was starting to get a lot of pain on the inside of my right foot and didn't really make the connection because it's very subtle. And even though maybe half of the actual run was completely flat, 
That means the other half was just slightly tilted towards in towards the river. And so, yeah, that caused an issue for me. I started having a bit of pain. Once I made the connection, I started running in the opposite direction and everything was totally fine. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a really nice topic that we're, it's worth discussing because, um, yeah, we're, it has a certain degree of pronation. And what do we know? What do we know about injuries in general? We know that the body will adapt as long as you give it enough time to adapt to different loads. As long as you find that adaptation zone, you train long enough within that adaptation zone, um, then we're fine. We start to adapt to that style of running. However, if we do too much too soon, if we run too fast too soon, or if we have an abrupt change to training, that can spike our loads and increase our risk of injury. And so when we're talking about abrupt changes, if you're used to running flat, if you're used to running on road, and then all of a sudden you go and start running around a river that has a very slight slope, that could be an abrupt change because every single step that you've now taken is different to the previous run that, or well, the run that you've adapted to. And so theoretically, if you were to run a little bit around this river and then walk and then run a little bit more around this river, um, you could run gradually enough and build up enough so that you are slightly pronating on the right-hand side, but your body is adapted to pronating slightly on that right-hand side. But we do know that um, if you start running further, if you start doing two laps around the river instead of one, if you start running a bit faster, that one side is always going to have a little bit more pronation. Therefore, we're always, if as soon as something isn't as gradual, it'll break down and start getting sore. So this is what we know about all injuries and it kind of applies to this situation as well. And so consider if you are this type, um, you might want to consider one just every second day, just changing the direction. If you need to do two laps in the day, change the direction for the second lap. And that way you're offering up these um, varieties in the body. And yeah, we're not just subjecting one part of your body to the same strain every single time. Um, Just something to think about. And it might just be gradual. You might not be able to actually see the difference um, with the naked eye, you might actually have to just have a bit more awareness. And especially if you start noticing a pain, um, yeah, just making that sensible adjustment. So I will go into a little bit more detail. I think I'll pull up that research paper and turn it into a, a whole episode. So thanks for that idea, Eric. And I hope that answered your question um, because it's an interesting one. It's an injury that might arise that people have no idea about. And yeah, it's Um, Really nice to have that insight around what the mechanics are for the terrain that you're on. So thanks very much for your question. That is our four questions that we answered today. Um, Next time we'll do a QA and a 2.0 or part two, and we'll answer all your Instagram uh, questions and um, look forward to bringing you that. I'm not too sure if I'll um, get to our our people that I've selected to um, do some voice memos. I'll reach out to them and see if we can do it via Instagram. But um, yeah, I really liked it. I really like hearing your voices and think it'll be something I'll definitely be doing in the future. So thanks to everyone for submitting those questions. And so I, yeah, I look forward to bringing you our next Q&A. And as we're signing off, remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. 
because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.